0: Children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation, among whom you shine as lights in the world, holding fast to the word of life, so that in the day of Christ I may be proud that I did not run in vain or labour in vain. Even if I am to be poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrificial offering of your faith, I am glad and rejoice with you all. Likewise, you also should be glad and rejoice with me. This is the word of the Lord. Well, this
1: morning, we're uh, carrying on with our studies uh, in the Apostle Paul's letter to the Philippians, as you've heard and seen. Um, And our subject is obedience, uh, and my headings... Uh, that I want us to use as we think about this subject and which you can jot down on the back page of your service sheets are first, its wider context Uh, secondly, its nature thirdly, at Philippi and fourthly, its purpose and result Paul was writing to the Philippians uh, from prison, probably uh, in Rome And the church at uh, Philippi was hugely significant because it was the first church uh, established on European soil and so began the conversion uh, of uh, Europe all those centuries ago. Philippi was a wealthy city, but many of the Christians would have been poor and it was a Roman colony populated by returning soldiers. Uh, but a wealthy city with a lot of ex-Roman soldiers is likely to be a pretty corrupt and immoral place. Not surprisingly, Paul describes the Philippine Christians as living among a crooked and twisted generation. How relevant, therefore, this letter is for Christians today uh, in the West, living in a similar pagan environment. So will you, therefore, uh, open the Bibles uh, in the pews at page Uh, uh, 980 which uh, is Philippians 2 and we're looking at verses uh, 12 to 18 of uh, Philippians 2 page 980 and uh, you'll see from the uh, uh, first words of verse 12 that this passage is all about Christian obedience therefore my beloved As you have always obeyed, so now obey, not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence. Well, so much by way of introduction. But what is Christian obedience? To answer, first we need to consider Christian obedience from the point of view of its wider context. Uh, And this is what the immediately preceding verses in Philippians 2 uh, are about. Those verses were about the obedience of Christ, verse 8, look at verse 8 where it says of Christ, being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. So the Philippians have been given the example of Jesus to follow and his obedience to follow. But then Paul goes on in verses 9 to 11 like this, therefore... God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And this is the wider context for our passage uh, and uh, it is quite amazing. It's talking about the ascension of Jesus and uh, how important that is uh, and why we need to celebrate it alongside uh, the incarnation at Christmas and the resurrection at Easter because the ascension is not just about uh, Jesus going away until he comes again at the end of history. Rather, it is about you, if you truly trust in Christ, being connected with Christ, the Son, And so, being directly with God the Father. Paul says in Colossians 3 verse 1, If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above, where Christ is seated, at the right hand of God. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. And Paul tells the Ephesians that God the Father raised Jesus from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and about every name that is named and put all things under his feet. That's Ephesians one twenty to 22. But then he later goes on uh, in Ephesians to say, listen, because God, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ... By grace you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. That's Ephesians 2 verses 4 to 6. So if you trust Christ, you amazingly are by faith, by the Holy Spirit, with Christ who is now exalted over all and so with God at the throne of the universe. Now, of course, none of this is visible. But spiritually, this is the reality. And that is the utterly, utterly staggering wider context for Paul as he writes to the Philippians about Christian obedience. But what, secondly, is the nature of this obedience? We'll look at verses 12, the second part of verse 12 and 13, where Paul says, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling for it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. So this obedience relates to our salvation. But how? Well, to understand how the Bible says salvation works, uh, you need to realize it has three tenses, past, present and future. For so salvation sums up the total work Uh, of God in Christ by his spirit for men and women let me explain it may be apocryphal but the story is told of the former late 19th century bishop of Durham uh, Bishop Wesker he was a great New Testament scholar uh, and a young Salvation Army girl they were travelling in the same railway compartment when trains had compartments Uh, the Salvationist being suspicious of bishops plucked up her courage and asked him if he was saved Westcott was actually at that time reading in the train his Greek New Testament. So uh, he replied, quoting the Greek, Do you mean Sotheis, Sothesomenos, or Sotheisomenos? Well, uh, what what the Salvation Army girl made of that is not told, but, but the bishop's reply well summarizes the way Paul uses the term salvation in three tenses. Was I saved? Am I being saved? Will I be saved? For that passage I quoted from Ephesians 2 says, By grace you have been saved by faith uh, in the past. However, Paul tells the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians one eighteen, For the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved in the present it is the power of God. And to the Romans, he writes in Romans five nine, Since therefore... We have now been justified by his blood. Much more shall we be saved in the future by him from the wrath of God. So when Paul is saying here in Philippians 2.12, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, he is not referring to past salvation, how we first became a Christian by trusting in Christ, or future salvation uh, when we will be fully transformed into Christ's likeness. Uh, Rather, he's referring to present salvation when we have already started on the Christian journey uh, and are truly following Christ, but now we have to work out uh, our salvation. He doesn't say work for your salvation, that's very important, so that you can be right with God who now will uh, forgive your sins. No, he, he means because you are already forgiven... Work out your salvation. And it relates to Ephesians 2, where Paul, having said in verse 8, by grace you've been, you have been saved uh, through faith, he goes on in verse 10 to say, for we are God's, his God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So that is the salvation you now have to work out doing those good works that God has already prepared for you. And that is simply, simple, uh, godly living, or what the theologians call sanctification. You see, the gospel, the good news of Jesus, is not just about justification, how through Christ, which we celebrate this morning, by his death, bearing your punishment, you get right with God. That is just the beginning The gospel also is vitally about sanctification and how you then start progressively to overcome your sinful thoughts and habits and start thinking and working for God and for others. Yes, in this life, there are still failures that you regularly need to confess, as we do in church and have done this morning. However, there should be progress little by little as you seek to grow in goodness and righteousness. It is this part of salvation that Paul is talking about here. And that also, of course, is different to glorification, the final state uh, in heaven when Christ returns. And as John says in his first letter, chapter 3, verse 2, when he appears, we shall be like him, because we shall see him as he is. But until then, you have, this is Philippians 3, verse 12, to work out your own salvation... And do those good works uh, God has prepared for you and for the whole of your life. And that includes uh, your inner life, your family life, uh, your church life, your social life, your work life, uh, and yes, your public life as a citizen. As a Christian heading for heaven, you can't wash your hands of public life. At least you must pray about it regularly and be as informed as you possibly can be. And for all of us, what we do needs to be done with fear and trembling. For even from a confident position of acceptance by God, we all will one day have to give an account to Christ for how we have worked out our salvation in this life. But also that fear and trembling should be in terms of awe, sheer awe. For verse 13 says, uh, Philippians 2:13 says, It is God... Almighty God the creator of the universe who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure and do you believe that if you believe that Christ is ascended and you are connected by faith with him there at the throne of the universe and with God it is all of the peace that God is working in you both to will and And to work for his good pleasure. And that good pleasure means it is for your good uh, and the good of all your family, the church, your work, and wider society. Now, how foolish then not to work with God by resisting his work in you. And the wonder of it is that God is working uh, in you not only to help you uh, once you uh, have got going. But he also helps you to will, to get going in the first place. Yes, this is a mystery. How can there be human free agency when God is working (coughs) sovereignly in you at the same time? Well, God said through the prophet Isaiah, we had this a couple of weeks ago, didn't we? Isaiah 55 verse 9, as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways. And Paul said in 1 Corinthians 13 and 12, now we see in a dim mirror dimly, but then when Christ returns and the perfect comes, we will see face to face. So you will understand one day. Well, that brings us thirdly to obedience at Philippi. And uh, verse 14, which says, do all things without grumbling or disputing. Paul didn't say to these Philippians, there's a major problem for obedience. Sort yourself out in terms of sexual and moral, marital morality. As he did to the Corinthians. Uh, Nor did he say uh, to them, sort yourselves out in terms of fundamental doctrine and your understanding of justification by faith. uh, As he did to the Galatians. No, he says, sort yourselves out because there are too many grumblers and disputers in Philippi. And we know that there were relationship problems at Philippi. Uh, we know there was a major problem between two women who worked together with Paul but couldn't work with each other, as you learn from chapter 4. And you can sense quite a bit of negativity in the church, which was a good church in many ways, not least uh, in terms of giving. But Paul has too often to said, "'Cheer up, don't be gloomy.'" or was in the original to that effect. Uh, in chapter 4, he has to say, verse 4 of chapter 4, Rejoice in the Lord always, again I will say rejoice, uh, having given, the, given them the same uh, instruction in the previous chapter. So here he is blunt and says, Do all things, not some things, all things, without grumbling or disputing. A well-known Christian was talking about this verse, and he said it hit him hard, because in terms of working out his salvation, Uh, he had learnt how to say no to lust, that's to sexual temptation, he'd learnt how to be ruthless over that area of his life, but grumbling wasn't on his agenda at all. And he saw this was serious. Grumbling is so subtle. For grumblers can be half right. Uh, The trouble is the other half where they're all wrong. Grumblers can destroy and demoralize organizations and human relationships and their relationship to God. Grumbling against God in the Old Testament uh, incurred the gravest of penalties. And certainly grumbling can occur uh, in churches as at Philippi. That uh, uh, famous Christian point was that such churches may be biblical and rightly heavy on what are known as sex and life issues, but are they equally heavy on grumbling? Is this something that, in biblical terms, they put to death? That uh, Christian was honest enough to say that in his case it wasn't. So how we all at this church, and St. Joseph's, uh, uh, need to heed this warning? Uh, certainly, in this first year of going multisite, there will be teething problems. Uh, and there are already problems that have to be dealt with, but not grumbled about. Uh, One of those at the moment is financial. Uh, Then in the wider Anglican communion, there are huge problems. Uh, And some of us are having to be involved with those, and not least uh, regarding church issues uh, uh, in sub-Saharan Africa, particularly in the South Sudan. These put our problems into proportion here in this country. And there will be individuals here this morning that are facing serious personal problems. Perhaps you are one such individual. But if you are trusting Christ, do not grumble. Rather, know that Almighty God is working with you as you face your problems, both to will and to work for his good pleasure, which will be for your good. Be assured. Well, that brings us, fourthly and finally, to what is the purpose and result of such obedience. The answer regarding the purpose is there in verses 15 uh, and 16, the first part of 16. Uh, In Paul's words, it is so that you may be blameless and innocent children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation among whom you shine as lights in the world holding fast to the word of life. The purpose is evangelistic. Uh, I've been at Jesmond for a long time. Uh, And this church is characterized by generally nice Christian people. Of course, none of us is perfect, but compared with the wider world, there is little nastiness and bad feeling. Yes, there should be healthy discussion and genuine questioning, but no bad feeling. So I am convinced there is more light that is shining in our churches and in all faithful churches than in the wider world. Let's not... Uh, deny that. Therefore, how we should get out into the wider world as much as possible and shine. The original word for light uh, may relate to Genesis 1 and the creation uh, of the sun and uh, the moon and the stars. So uh, even if Christians are not like the sun, but just like the moon and the stars, relatively speaking, they give considerable light You realise that if you're out of the city and in rural Northumberland. If the sky is totally overclouded at night, uh, you see virtually nothing. But with the moon and the stars shining on a clear night, the light is quite remarkable. Uh, This, at least, uh, is what we're meant to be like uh, in the world. So a church goal, as well as personal goal, um, should be for all of us to shine as lights. In the world, holding fast, says Paul, to the word of life. That is important, that God's word in Christ himself and in his apostolic word, the Bible, is held tightly. Uh, On the one hand, uh, you're not to be separated from the word of life, as some are. On the other hand, you are to hold it tightly like an ancient torch and not let it slip, uh, as you hold it up to light the way. All that is so relevant to uh, our suggested mission, This coming autumn. What then is the result, or a result, of, uh, mentioned here, of Christian obedience? Well, the answer is encouragement all around. Uh, Look at verses 60, the second half of 16 and 18. Paul wants the result to be that in the day of Christ, that's the day of judgment, I may be proud that I did not run in vain or labour in vain, Even if I am to be poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrificial offering of your faith, I am glad and rejoice with you all. Likewise, you also should be glad and rejoice with me. Now, time forbids going into detail, but the gist of that is clear, and with this I conclude. At the final judgment, Paul doesn't want to appear before Christ, uh, having worked in vain, because his churches, and the one at Philippi in particular, are spiritually at sixes and sevens. Yes, he, he may be martyred, as he eventually was for Christ, but he wanted to rejoice because the Christian's faith at, at Philippi had resulted in good works. So he would die, but being able to say to the whole church uh, at Philippi, before going to be with the Lord, that you are obediently working out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you, both to will and to will and to work for his good pleasure. And uh, he will be glad uh, and rejoice with them uh, and they with him. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we pray that you will, by your Holy Spirit, hide your word in our hearts so that we do not sin
0: against you. For Jesus' sake, amen.